Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Springtime is here. Yesterday, anyway. Anyway, welcome Princeton and those of you online in the room. Um, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we'll eventually get to 1 Samuel chapter 17 if you want to turn there. But have you ever thought that you had something figured out and then no, you don't? I was recently uh, going into a, a hotel and I, I uh, noticed these things when, uh, at this stage of my life, when older men have good hair, like enough. Uh, it's just my, my issue. And we went into a hotel and I was looking at the guy. I'm like, he's like way older than me, but look at how his hair is so jet black. And it's like so much of it. And then I realized that it wasn't his hair. I don't know where he got it, but it wasn't his. Thought I had it figured out. When our daughter Annika and Alexandra were very small, we, uh, they would often play in the car in the driveway. And we were visiting with some friends and the kids were in and out of the car and sometimes the keys would get locked in there or they would get locked in. So I said, guys, come on out of the car. And they didn't like that, particularly Annika, and she was not happy about it. And Annika could always let us know very well where she stood on issues. And uh, so I call her up. Finally, she gets out of the car and she slams the door and then she starts crying away. I'm like, oh, come on. Making such a big production out of this, Annika. Settle down. What's going on? I said, come on, get away from the car. And I, and I'm, she's still hollering. I'm going like, what's going on? Such, such a child. <laughs> so, oh, she was. So I went over to the car and I realized that she had slammed the door, but had her on her own fingers. She couldn't leave because her hand was stuck in the door. That's the moment as a dad that you can say, yeah, I failed right there, big time. Thought I knew what was going on. Or when you've been driving down the road, and this happens, it seems to happen often on 64th when you're coming from two lanes to one or one to two, where the person comes roaring up behind you so fast. They're like doing all the things to let you know that they're not happy with your speed you're going. I don't know if this is just a Surrey problem, but it sure is there. And so they're roaring up behind you. And then as soon as they can, they roar past you. And they're going like double the speed that my wife goes. And, and there they go. And you're thinking, my goodness, how rude and so unsafe. Then I thought about this once. And I said, what if, what if I knew that they were racing to the hospital because their passenger was having a heart attack? Or if there was an expectant mother in the car? I don't think there is 98% of the time, but wonder what it would look like if I looked at these from a different perspective. It's more than meets the eye often in situations. And sometimes it's good to have a fresh eyes because it changes everything about the situation. And ever feel like the situations that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, the things that we see going on in our world, in our city, that there might be more happening than is what than meets the eye. When you think about things like, why is my mind under such duress? Questions like, why is there so much venom in today's interaction? I, why is division so deep in so many spheres? Why do I feel this tug, tug of war of desires within my soul, inside of me? Why do we keep 
continuing to struggle in our marriage? Why do I keep coming back to that self-defeating behavior again and again and again? Why is there such a steady stream of bad news in the world today? Why does injustice rage when so many of us decry it as evil? Why can't we seem to fix the world's biggest and deepest problems, even with all our money, all our technology, all our good ideas and political prowess? Could it be that our souls are at war with another world? And you're like, oh, great. You're not going to be that preacher, Craig. A devil behind every bush and under every seat. A way to avoid responsibility or dealing with reality. The devil made me do it. No, not that guy. But it's always important that we look at the situations around us holistically. For example, when there's a health problem, it's important that we have a whole picture perspective. Is the physical involved? Is there a maturity issue? Is there a medical issue? Is there some hormonal imbalance? Is there a hereditary thing? Is there, I don't know. But sometimes we avoid asking, is something spiritual going on here? Is there more than just what I see in front of me or I hear reported to me? Is there more? And too often in our Western world, in our speculation about why things are happening the way they are, we fail to acknowledge that behind all that we see, there is a bad actor at play. There is a liar. There is an accuser. There is an agitator involved. And even as Christ followers, we can often fail to consider that the spiritual realm is just as real as what you see around you right now. And we end up fighting battles that are ineffective. And as we look to God's word today, I hope we can see that the struggles in our lives, our families, our city, our globe, look at them with fresh eyes. And there's a foundational understanding from God's point of view that helps to set how that all looks because we can have different perspectives about there's a devil and, and the one extreme can be he does everything. We have no responsibility and he's just doing what he does or that he's almost equal with God and, and there's this battle going on between he and God or the other extreme is just ignoring him and making him a caricature with a little red suit and pointy horns and a tail. And we're like, ah, he's nothing or he's everything. But I think the Bible is kind of a little different on both of those. First of all, there is a real enemy. First Peter 5 and 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, say your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's an enemy. That word means accuser or adversary. Someone who is seeking to bring formal charges to exact a penalty. We also have a real struggle with a real enemy. We have a real struggle with a real enemy. Ephesians 6 and 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the power, rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The struggle is real. It may not be against flesh and blood or against people or against your neighbor or the person two rows over, but the struggle is still real. This word means to like a wrestling match. It's a struggle. It's a fight. It's a conflict. It's a contest. There's a real struggle. But our struggle is not primarily with people. 
Our struggle is not with our neighbor. Our struggle is not with the primarily with the politician. Our struggle, even the struggle of what's going on in Ukraine right now is not primarily a people issue. It's there's something more going on. The real struggle is not with your spouse. It's not with your parents. It's not with your kids. Now, there are all struggles in those spaces and to pretend that they're not there and just the devil, no. But I think we need to realize and acknowledge that the primary driver of all this, there's an unseen foe, an unseen enemy that has a desire that is far different than you for your life. He's driving issues behind the scenes. But if we went around the room, we would quickly realize that the struggle is real. Struggle against addiction, struggle against pain, struggle against burnout, struggle against the marital issues, struggle against the stress, struggle against the anxiety, struggle against the pressures of kids and finances and not a big enough house, struggle to be kind, a struggle with losses of all kinds, struggle with disappointment, struggling with loneliness, struggling with unforgiveness. And as people of faith, we sometimes don't want to acknowledge that we have issues that we struggle with. After all, I'm a follower of Jesus and happy days are here again and everything's going to be good in this, everything's going to be good and if it's not good, there's a problem with you. But can we just normalize the struggle? Struggle does not mean that you're a bad person. Struggle does not mean that you're always failing. Struggle does not always mean that you're not meeting some impossible standard. It simply means that you're alive. Struggle means that you haven't given up. Struggle means you're still kicking. Struggle means that you fell down, but you got back up again. Struggle means that you're not going down without a fight. Struggle means that you are refusing to settle for where you are. And struggle is a normal part of our lives. But if we don't acknowledge the reality of the struggle, we can never deal with it. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have the struggle all figured out. Because Jesus is actually looking for those that know that they have a need that they don't have it all figured out, that they do need help. He even says, I'm not like, I'm, I'm like a doctor. I don't treat the healthy. I treat those who know that they have a need. We don't always have to have it all together. We all struggle between the way and the ideal of Jesus and the way of our flesh. And in that place of struggle, not only is the enemy there, but God is there. Jesus is actually looking for those who acknowledge that they need help, those that are in the struggle. And so I want to say to those of us that are struggling today, you are not junk because you struggle. You need not feel ashamed because you struggle. Jesus is actually, I'm saying it again, is actually looking for those that know they need help. The arrogant and the proud, he moves on from, he ignores them. And scripture actually tells us that he actively opposes the proud and the arrogant. But he gives grace to the humble, those that know they need. There's a real enemy, there's a real struggle, and there's a real enemy who hates you. Let's just settle this once and for all. The Bible says that we can enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, but then we pay the price. Because this is the reality behind that. John 10 and 10, the thief comes only, someone say only, to steal and kill and destroy. That's the enemy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Steal means what it means to take. 
To steal secretly comes from the word klepto in the Greek, but which is where we get our word for kleptomaniac. The devil is a kleptomaniac. He can't help himself. He just goes about wherever he can, stealing what God has given in your life, stealing the joy, stealing the hope, stealing whatever is good in of God. He wants to steal it from you. He wants to kill. He wants to kill you and everything that is precious to you and to God. He wants to destroy, and that word means to cancel out, to remove, to cause to be lost, to be utterly perished by experiencing a miserable end. Are we encouraged so far? We have a real devil, a real enemy. We have a real struggle, and we have a real enemy that, is, that really hates you. But Jesus came to bring life. And that word life means a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed. To the full, beyond, someone say beyond, beyond what is anticipated, past the expected limit. That's where the struggle is. Between there's an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys, and a Jesus who said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And the, the tactics of the enemy are real. This is how he goes about it. Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word scheme means organized evil doing or well-crafted trickery designed to deceive and confuse. That's the goal of the enemy. Well-crafted trickery designed to deceive and confuse. So why would the writer Paul say this to a church because it's possible that any one of us could listen to a voice and get in a spot where there's a well-crafted trickery designed against you, designed against your future, designed against your marriage, designed against a church, designed against a nation because he only has a few things he wants to do, steal and kill and destroy, well-crafted trickery. And then he goes on, and in 2 Corinthians, Paul also says this, and what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Why? In order that Satan may not outwit us. He was playing, uh, he was playing that game before anybody else. Survivor, he wanted to outwit you. He wants to outlast you. He wants to outweigh you. Wait you. We are not unaware of his schemes. This is a different word for schemes, and it means something a little differently. It talks about in the mind with a desired end, mind games. Do you ever feel like you're playing a mind game, a thought that keeps rolling around that you're not even sure always where it came from, but it rolls around? Mind games is a series of deliberate actions, responses that are planned for a negative psychological effect. The enemy plays mind games. Well-crafted trickery, mind games. And finally, John 8 and 44, Jesus says this. He's talking to some uh, Pharisees and he says, you belong to your father, the devil. Can you imagine just say, saying that to some people? You belong to your father, the devil, this Jesus, and you want to carry out your father's desire. And then he goes on to describe the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father or originator or the fountainhead of lies. John Comer in his book, Live No Lies, summarizes it this way. There is an invisible enemy against God and all that is good in your life. The enemy's goal is to drive you and our society to ruin. 
We aren't, he's not playing games, even if we are. Number three, the devil's primary method is lies. His primary strategy is deception. Go back to one and two. Just those, whoever's up there somewhere, thank you, by the way. There is an enemy against God and all that is good for your life. The enemy's goal is to drive us, drive our society, drive everything that God has given us and called us to, to ruin. The devil's primary method is lies. The primary strategy is deception. But we have a role to play. The Bible says, be alert. Don't be unaware of his devices. And if the primary method of the enemy is lies and his primary strategy is deception, what should a major part of our response be? Truth. John 8 and 31, Jesus said this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know, someone say no, the truth, and the truth will set you free. That word know means to know through personal experience, not intellectual knowledge, but to know through personal experience. And it's far greater than just knowing some truth of things that you can recite. Because who said he is the truth? Jesus. So it's not just about knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. It's experiencing Jesus. It's having him as the forgiver and the leader of our life so that we know him. If we're going to combat lies, we have to have a strong understanding of the truth. When they train tellers in a bank, less and less money being handled. But when they train them, they train them to what is true. They don't give them, here, figure out, look at all these counterfeit. Figure out which one is right. Maybe one of them is right. They actually so train them on the truth, they must know and personally handle the money. For American money, the best way to detect a counterfeit is about as low tech as is possible. It's the unique te texture of 25% linen and 75% cotton that you can feel. It just feels off if you know, if you know the truth of what it should feel like. And we need to know and experience Jesus and the truth about who he is, the truth about what he's done, the truth about what he is doing in the middle of it all, the truth about who God is, the truth about who you are in God, the truth about the call of God on your life, the truth about what Jesus wants to do through your life, the truth about what Jesus wants to do in your life, the truth about what Jesus wants to do through a church, the truth about what Jesus wants to do in a nation, so that when we stand in the middle of a battle, because the battle is there. We have an enemy who hates us, who really, really hates us. And if our perspective is that it's something different than what's actually going on, we need to see fresh eyes, the truth of what God is doing. Be you know, when you start a new job, you will often see things that the people who have worked there a long time don't see. If you ever worked at a new job or, or you go into a, a house that, that people lived in for a long, long time, and you're like, you look at everything with fresh eyes. You'll go into maybe an office and you say, why is there that stain on the wall? Why isn't anybody, they're like, a stain? What stain? There's a stain there. Oh, that happened back in 98 uh, when there was a, 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 a pipe leaking and we just have never gotten around to deal with it. But fresh eyes sees everything. And so I'm hopeful this morning that you see things with fresh eyes, both on the side of what the enemy is doing, but now in a moment, what God is doing in the middle of it with fresh eyes. I want us to have fresh eyes to know the truth in the struggle. We're going to look quickly at a familiar story, David and Goliath, to see our struggle with fresh eyes. 
This is a story of a little shepherd boy who took down a well-trained giant soldier. And it has become this allegory in our culture of the underdog winning today. But it's far more than that. And because it's so familiar, it risks becoming a cute children's story that we gloss over and miss the truth of what's in there. Because the Old Testament is written, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. That's why we need the whole Bible. It says this, these things happened to them, the Old Testament saints, as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And that's where we are right now. And so when we look at the Old Testament, I'm look, we are looking for examples, both good and bad, that we can learn from. And we're looking for warnings that Jesus might be giving. So in 1 Samuel 17, the story of Goliath and David, it starts with Goliath, who was this giant of a man. And there's all kinds of speculation as they look at the whole story of what happened. Did he have a that gland? that gland problem that caused things, gigantism or giantism or something like that. We don't really know. But anyway, he was a giant man, had all the weapons and spears and swords and shields and, and mail on him, M-A-I-L, covering him and everything. And he was the big guy. And he was, says in verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, the people of God, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So you see there in the natural a picture of what the enemy wants to do. He always wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so we see it right there. But on hearing those words, Saul and all the Israelites, Saul is the king, they were dismayed and terrified. Nothing had actually happened, though. It was only words. It was only lies. It was only well-crafted trickery. It was only mind games. But it, they were absolutely terrified. And for 40 days, in verse 16, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand and shouted the same things. Think of it. Sometimes a battle that goes on against you or what you're in or the struggle that you're in seems to go on and on. And the enemy will keep at his destroyer or his mind games. He will keep at his deception. He will keep at his lies because his goal is at the end to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So initially, David was not even at the battle. He was taking care of the sheep, doing what his dad had asked him to do. But then his dad says, I want you to take some bread and some cheese to your brothers and some to the king. So he runs off, he takes it to them, and he gets to where they were fighting, he gets it. In verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle and asked his brother, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion of Gath, stepped out, David saw it with his own eyes, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So now they're not just afraid, now they're running for their lives. And nothing has changed. It's well-crafted trickery, it's mind games, it's lies, and they're on the run. Eventually, David begins to understand that they're too scared to fight this giant. He's like, why isn't anybody fighting this guy? His brother actually chews him out. What are you doing here, you little shepherd boy? Why don't you go back, why don't you go back and get out of here? You've got all the answers. If you have older brothers, you know how that goes, right? My older brothers love me. I know it. But eventually, David says this to Saul. 
Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to fight against this Philistine or go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and you, he has been a warrior from his youth. And those are some kind, sometimes the lies come from well-intentioned sources. It says you are not able. This is the message we hear again and again. You don't, you can't overcome that addiction. You are not able because your son and daughter aren't serving God. You aren't able because you don't have enough experience. You aren't able because you don't have enough money and you still smoke and you still struggle with fear and you still have issues over here. You're not able to win. Saul goes on to say, you're only, and I think of, he said, you're only a young person. What label? Would well-intentioned people, or maybe even ourselves, we put a, I'm only a young person. I'm only a woman. I'm only a person who's failed. I'm only a new Christian. I'm only an addict. I'm only someone who's been divorced. I'm only somebody who's been caught with this issue. I'm only an immigrant. I'm only a poor person. I'm only a divorcee. Whatever the label may be on your life. But there is more than meets the eye. You are not what you can do. You are not your label. And David recounts to Saul this truth. He had already he fought. He had already destroyed bears and lions that had attempted to eat his sheep. And he says, yeah, that might be true. I'm not able because I'm young, but let me tell you something. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, the God who did it before, who did it in that situation, who did it in that situation, and now I'm here facing something a little bigger. That's the same God who did it there. And God is not intimidated by the lion. God was not overcome by the bear. And God's not going to be overcome by this giant in front of me. And Saul tries to get David to wear his armor. But David says this, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He had the sword, the helmet, everything. And he's like, I'm not used to them. They don't fit. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones. And there's lots in here, but I'm not going to get into it. Chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Then a little further down, it says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I will cut off your head. The Bible is so graphic. All those gathered here will know what is that it is not by sword. It is not by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all into my hands. David runs at him. We know the story. He slings a stone that hits Goliath in the forehead. He drops to the ground. David goes and finishes him off with his own sword and the nation is saved. So here's some fresh eyes to see the truth of your struggle. Number one, the one who was with you is bigger than what is in front of you. The enemy is always going to accuse. He's always going to send you thoughts that minimize you, that accuse you, that belittle you, that discourage you, that attack who you are. And But it's not all uh, on you. God's hand is on you. David said this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Second Kings in 16 and 17, where one prophet was like, with his helper, uh, Gehazi, and they were in a city and they were, he looks out in the morning and he sees the city is surrounded with this army that's come to get them. And he's like, oh no, what are we going to do? And the prophet says to him, he says, Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes. And then his eyes, his spiritual eyes were open to see 
with fresh eyes what is actually going on. And he says that all around, I see the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, that God is far greater than what's right in front of me. And so know that the one who is with you is bigger than what is in front of you. And secondly, the truth is that you do what only you can do and let God do what only he can do. David couldn't change Goliath's height. David could not change Goliath's training, but God had promised to deliver. David still had to pick up his slingshot. David still needed to select five stones. David still needed to run the battle. He couldn't change anything except he could do what he could do. You can't change that person. You can't change what has happened. But what is God asking you to do? To forgive, to pray, to repent, to let it go? to see a counselor, to see a doctor, to go to rehab, to ask for help. I don't know. Do what you can do, whatever God's asking you to do, and let God do what only God can do. Because they're in the natural, there is no reason why a stone hitting someone in the head should take him out to kill him. You would not think that, especially someone who's like nine feet tall. The truth, number three, is that you are not the underdog. You are not the underdog. Goliath is the real underdog. David was the bigger man. Get the right perspective. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big, we can never stop him. David looked at the same giant and said, he's so big, I can't miss him. What's your perspective? Exodus 14 and 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. You're not the underdog. The truth is that the greatest battles are often won in the greatest valleys. Valley represents low part. And we say, what about the valley? The Israelites were on one side on one hill. Philistines were on one side and they would come down into the valley and that's where they would fight. And valleys represent times of discouragement, times of challenge, times of difficulty, times of pain, times of confusion. But Psalms 23 and 4 reminds us that we are not alone in the valley. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close. That's the good shepherd. That's Jesus close beside me. We're walking through. We're not going to build a house in the valley. We're not going to take up residence in the valley. We're not going to just stay there. But with Jesus' help... We're going to go through the struggle. We're going to go through the pain. We're going to go through the issue. We're going to get behind, beyond it. We're going to go through the dark valley. We can overcome. We are going through. Say, I'm going through. I'm going through. The truth is that the size of your opposition represents the size of your next level. See, David fought a, a bear, and I, I think that probably the first time, that was really frightening. Alone, very often alone, maybe with some other people around there, but often he was alone. That's where he wrote much of the Psalms. And I'm sure he was not excited to see that bear. He took him out because he said, you're not going to take that, that lamb. And then there was a lion, even scarier, because the lion, well, at least for me, the lion would scarier, be scarier. The bear, I think, will run away from me if I run towards him or throw something at him. The lion, I think, is going to say, you think so? It's going to take you down. But David takes out a bear. He takes out a lion. And then he takes out Goliath. He started protecting sheep. And he ended his life protecting a nation. For every new level, this is what Mama Carol used to say to us. To us. I'm not going to explain who she is. A prophetic mentor in our lives. She said, for every new level, there is a new devil. But for every new level, there's more in God. 
And as we persevere through our struggles with God's help, he's preparing you for more. The worship team can begin to come. The truth is that we don't worry about what's in God, Goliath's hand. Look at what's in yours. In David's hand, it was a slingshot and five stones, but in God's hand, it took out a giant. Throughout the Bible, God has this wonderful track record of using a person, whatever a person possessed, if the person would willingly relinquish it into his hands. What's in your hand? Focus on what you do have, not on what you don't have. God's hand is on you. He is working in you. He's working for you. He has a wonderful way of doing it. He's walking forward in front of you. He's making a way where there seems to be no way. And go in the strength that you do have and see what God will do. Finally, the truth is that your faith to stand against your giant will inspire others to stand against theirs. When David stood against that giant, what was on the line was another generation. What was on the line was another generation. Because Goliath said, if I get you, if I kill you, you all serve us and you're all our slaves. We take everything. You, we own you. But David stood in the strength of God and said, no, not today. Not today. There's more here than meets the eye. David's willingness to, to stand ensured that an entire generation stood because all of us are fighting a fight that is bigger than us, whether we realize it or not. So I want to commend you for standing. With God's help, you're breaking a chain. Some of you are breaking a chain that has held your family, sometimes for generations. I'm so grateful for my mother and father who broke a chain of alcoholism in our family line so that I didn't have to fight it. Breaking the chain, the Goliath of inferiority, so that your son, your daughter, your nephew, your niece, your coworker can see a better way. God wants some of us to help some of us break free from the lies of insecurity and the flip side of that pride. God wants to help some of us break free from the chain of bitterness and hatred so that another generation doesn't live it out. The struggle is real. We have a real enemy who has real plans, who really hates us and uses common tactics of mind games, deception, and lies because he does not want to see what Jesus said. I have come that you would have life and have it to the full and unexpected more. Fresh eyes today to see not only what the enemy is doing, but what God is doing in the middle of it all is you, oh God, like David, the Lord's going to have to work in this. God's going to take you out, devil. Struggle is real. I love what Romans 8 and 31 says. What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Whatever's happening in your family, whatever's happening in our city, whatever's happening in our nation, whatever's happening in the world, if God be for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. And then he goes on to list a whole bunch of challenging situations, really, really challenging. And then he kind of ends that, this section with verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, not because you're smarter, not because you've got it all figured out, but because you serve a God 
who is in the valley with you, who is in the battle with you, who fights for you. That more than conquerors, the literal meaning of that is super conqueror. Not a victim. You're a super conqueror in Jesus. God before you, who can be against you? You are a super conqueror who, and this is the meaning, who is completely and overwhelmingly victorious. That's where you're heading in God. That's where we're heading in God. That's God's plan for his sons and his daughters. The enemy has a plan, but God has a plan far greater. He's far stronger. It's not a wrestling match between God and the devil, we struggle sometimes, but with God's help in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I invite you to stand and we're going to... I always believe that we should respond to the word of God. Just give, your, give a moment and close your eyes. Nothing spooky about it. We simply want to give space, remove some distractions. whether it's someone online or someone in the room, if you feel like you're absolutely alone in a battle and you're not sure that Jesus is even with you in a battle because you've never made him the forgiver and leader of your life, it's a simple little step that has profound implications. You begin a journey by simply saying something along the lines of, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come and lead my life. That starts a journey where God will fight for you. Some might be almost overwhelmed in the struggle. I want to pray for fresh courage and fresh strength. Maybe we've lost perspective of what's really happening. Help me to see and respond with fresh eyes. Fresh eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If any of those were you, just throw your hand up and I want to pray. Just get... Sometimes I'm almost overwhelmed in the struggles. Sometimes I've lost perspective of what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. We thank you that you have come, that we'd have life and have it to the full. And Lord, I pray that you would give us courage in the midst of all the craziness of our world, Lord Jesus. In the midst of the struggles that each of us would have. Lord, thank you that you are with us. You are for us. You battle on our behalf. We look to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for fresh strength and fresh courage. Lord, I pray that you would continue to open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear what's going on around us from your perspective. Help us to see that there's a God who is for us. Help us to move with courage and confidence. because of who you are. Not because we've got it all figured out, but because of who you are. Strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.